The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving and with us today are Andy Mitten and I'm delighted to say as well, Carl Anker. Welcome back, Carl. Um, there was videos of Manchester Airport going viral this week, again, for the chaos and security. Did you get through okay? Because Andy was quite concerned about the service there a few weeks back. <laughs> uh, I got stuck at Heathrow for three... Oh, so it happened in London hours. as well. That's so, good. Different airports, same chaos. Uh, I so My plane landed from Nigeria on uh, Wednesday, Wednesday at two o'clock, and I didn't get to get off the actual plane until about five o'clock due to a massive technical error um, with British Airways. So I just got out the uh, the gamepad and then did all the crosswords <laughs> as I was getting increasingly annoyed at what was going on. Got there in the end, though. Yeah, it looked fantastic, to be fair, your trip, though, Carl. How was it? I mean, you were at really, really important games. It doesn't get much more important than a playoff for the World Cup, does it? It was incredible. It's sort of... I've covered Champions League games, Europa League. I've, I've done the European Championship final. But in terms of noise, I don't think I've, I've had noise level in, in the way of... Uh, the first leg in Kumasi, there was just, it was meant to be a 40,000 seat stadium and, and essentially I had no seat, press box, whatever and all. So I had to take a chair from the press conference room, put it behind the press box, stand on top of it. And that's how I watched the entirety of the first leg. Uh, and any time when my knees got a bit like too painful watching this, I went, all right, sound, I'll, um, I'll have a quick sit down if a player got fouled or if there was a break for a free kick. And there was one bit where, you know, got off my chair and, I, and a lad walked up to me and went do you mind if I stand on your chair if you're not watching this anymore I went, no 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 that's, that's my chair gets to half time I went if I, if I take if I leave this chair someone will take it and that'll be that so that was my first leg no wifi no phone signal boom 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 second leg trying to get into the ground um, armed, armed Nigerian police everywhere uh, the, they advise there was a a rolling advert on Nigerian sports radio saying, if you just want to watch Nigeria versus Ghana, stay at home. Do not go to the ground. We don't want casuals. But if you are going to be the 12th man for Nigeria, if you want to strike fear into the hearts of every Ghanaian person that enters that stadium, if you're essentially a bit of a loud Mardi so-and-so, go to the ground. So, And they all told everyone, get there three hours early, you'll be allowed in, it'll be chaos. Um, and it's all gated up, so you can't you can't get in. And, and essentially, four or five Nigerian fans spotted a break in one of the fences and burst through. To which Nigerian police uh, fired tear gas. Uh, I was stood around one of the areas where they broke through. Um, yeah, I'm stood there going, <laughs> "My nose hurts. My nose really hurts." All of a sudden, and I'm looking left. I'm looking right. I go, "Oh, it's, it's tear gas. Great. I should I should get moving." Go down to another gate further down the stadium. Uh, and I try showing my press pass going, sir, you know, journalist, journalist. Uh, and one of them, he essentially goes, why are, you, why are you waving this in front of me as if you're special? And, and has a, a two foot stick and just pokes me three or four times in the chest. Just like, get away, get away. Sweeps me through. Uh, finally got in. That time I didn't have to stand on the chair, but I had to watch the entire game standing up. It's 38 degrees in Nigeria. Kanu's doing laps of the field to try and get everyone G'd up. Um, there was a stampede at the end when Nigeria realised they weren't going to the World Cup and they just essentially ripped apart the dugout. Several hundred thousand really annoyed Nigerian football fans. Uh, and again, I had another moment where I was taking loads of photographs and going, my nose hurts. Oh, it's tear gas again. I should probably... 
clear off. Incredible, incredible game of football, two two ways. And uh, yeah, I'm never going to forget the tear gas at the very least. Oh, the smell of it, yeah. It, it makes the walk down to the ground on some Matt Busby way and also the sort of tame applause at the final whistle against Leicester feel a little bit tame, to be honest, that story. <laughs> uh, Andy, you've also been on your travels as well, as always. I'm not sure you encountered anything quite like that, but you have been touring Europe trying to speak to former Manchester United defenders, haven't you? Yeah, I was in Serbia. Uh, I went to see Nemanja Vidic on, on Thursday. Uh, I, I really like seeing him. I was going pretty much every year when he was living in Milan and he moved back to Belgrade within the last year um, with his wife and boys and really enjoyed spent I've spent seven or eight hours with him and then I went on to Italy uh, to speak to another former Manchester United player in, in Salerno I went through all the airports and they're absolutely fine I've given up on Manchester airport unfortunately I'd like to know what West African airports are like <laughs> Carl I'd like to go to West Africa with you as well and then um yeah, I'm looking for interesting stories, going to meet people, travelling. And I also went to an Italian second division game and they wouldn't let me in. I said, look, I'm, I'm here. Your grounds are quarter full. It's raining. It rained every single day. Did you just want a picture, Andy? I'm a ground geek, aren't I? I like got a new grounds. And so there's like 4,000 people in this ground, Benny Vento near Naples. Like, you can't come in. I'm like, I- I'm a journalist. We don't care. Can I give you some money to come into your empty stadium and watch a game of football? No, you need to apply online. Okay, I'll apply online. But you've got to be from Italy. Well, I'm not from Italy. Well, you can't come in the game. So I've come here with good intentions to give you money to watch this game of football and you're not going to let me in the stadium. No, I'm sorry, that's the law. Nice one, I said. You're sending out the most incredibly positive message about Italian football. <laughs> so I just got in my car and did one. Went to Salerno. Went into my, my hotel wait for the lift, the entire, and I mean 11 players from the Torino team walked out the lift and I pretended like I didn't know who they were despite all having Torino tracksuits on. And then the, the other player came to meet me, took me to the gr- ground. It absolutely bucketed down non-stop. And then uh, I came back through Naples Airport, another one which is better than Manchester Airport. And then I watched Anthony Martial play for Sevilla on uh, Sunday night against Barcelona. So... A bit non-stop. I did watch Manchester United against Leicester. That was the low point. Even lower than not getting in the uh, the ground in Benevento at the weekend. But I'm sure we're going to talk about that. Yeah, we will in a minute. Before we go any further though, Carl, you need to answer Andy's question. What what are African airports like? Are they worse than Manchester? Uh, well, they're well staffed, I'll say. So that was nice. That's different at least. Yeah. <laughs> I did have a moment where I didn't quite understand the, uh, the subtle questions where airport staff were asking me for a tip. So I first landed in Accra and I got in quite late on the Tuesday and I'm going through customs, sort of handing everything. And one of them goes, oh, you know, why have you here? I said, I'm here for the football. Good, good, good. And he goes, great. And what have you brought for me today? Oh, I was just like, nothing, nothing, mate. He's like, oh, you've brought me nothing? We're working here all the, all the time. You've brought me nothing. And I'm completely not understanding that what have you brought for me is uh, West African airport code for I would like a tip. If can you help me out, please, sir? Because you've got a British accent. And, That's uh, crazy, isn't it? The the exchange rate's quite you know favourable in your favour. So first way through, everyone's look, giving me the side eye, being quite mean to me. I'm going, why is everyone being quite mean to me? It's only when I get to a crowd, talk to my friend, and he goes, mate, you're meant to tip them. They they all hate you now because you didn't tip. I went, okay, fine. So the other way, when I go through Kumasi, someone goes, oh, what you brought for me? I went, I, you know, here's here's a little bit of Ghanaian city. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, get, I'm getting through the queue nicer here. No, no, they're not throwing my suitcase through stuff. Um, and, I'm, you know, get to get to Nigeria, have a similar one. Uh, one at one airport staff sort of went, where are you from? Uh, and, oh, I'm British. He goes, no, 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 how are you? What's going on here? Uh, very confused. I went, how do you have such dark skin and an English accent? What have you done here? <laughs> One way to put it, isn't it? I went, oh, right. Yeah. I went, okay. So my parents are from Kumasi in Ghana. I was born in London. I, I live in Manchester now and I've come all the way down here for the football. And she was like, oh, good, great, good. And uh, and what have you brought for us? Uh, I said, you know, I brought you this. And I was great. That's good. It's Mother's Day soon. We need iPads. We need mobile phones. We need all this. There was another one who also went, oh, chairman, chairman, I'm very thirsty. Can I have a sip of water? Me, in my naivete, first go for my metal water bottle and go, hang on, no. He wants a drink. I have to buy him a drink, so give him some Nairo as well. Uh, so yeah, that that's the story of West African airports. Very nice, very friendly, but you just got to give him a couple of quid to grease the wheels, shall we say? Yeah, fascinating. I'm sort of loath to break up this travels and an airport chat to talk about the football, but I'm I'm wondering if people sort of nearly ten minutes in are expecting us to discuss Manchester United against Leicester and the one all draw. Uh, from the weekend, you can hear my tone, can't you? Remember, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. You get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast as well, including this one, of course. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Sign up now. I don't really know what we're going to talk about uh, with the match because it just seems like it drifted, like the season's drifted and like it's going to continue to drift. But um, Harry Maguire is probably a place to start, I think. Michael Cox has written a piece on The Athletic about the switch of sides, him coming over to the right-hand side, which I believe was a, a decision of Ralph Rangnick having seen Maguire on international duty. And Andy, it did seem to bring an improved performance out of Maguire and there was a reaction from United fans supporting him after all the boos on international duty as well, wasn't there? I think the reaction from United fans was was probably the right one. He's had enough stick and I think a lot of United fans have got doubts about him, whether he's good enough to be in the team at the moment, whether he's good enough to be captain at the moment. I don't think he had a bad game at the weekend. I was concerned that United conceded yet another goal uh, from a cross. It's been happening far too too often this season uh, i been in the company of two central defenders Vidic obviously knows his stuff when he talks about central defenders just a little bit uh, Vasselli's a current international central defender you didn't name him before actually Andy so who, who was it just so if people are wondering uh, Frederick Vasselli he's got, got a really good story so I went to get it face to face from him and yeah, I sat in his house watching the game with him and he just drops drops in lines like when Harry Kane did me I'm like, all right, so, <laughs> and, and and they just said, well, just explain that to me, because I can't relate to anything like that. And he said, so what Kane does is when the ball comes in, and he tells you in very specific detail why he's so good and how he did him recently at Wembley, playing for England. And I just find that really interesting when I watch games with people who know a huge amount of football and uh, he'd, he'd done his groin and um, I just said, just talk me through this entire game now. And he, he, was, he just said, right, this is what Torino are going to do. They're going to play man marking. It's like Atalanta play 
high press and he said we'll bring Frank Ribery on because he's playing there now um, and this is what he may be able to do what he may not be able to do and he just picks out things that I would miss because I'm not a professional football coach or a professional football player I watch a huge number of football games but I really love it when I feel like I'm getting an education from someone who plays at the highest level for a living and just says just watch his half turn watch the half turn there there why is he not going in it's brilliant I'd pay for that so it was a real um, privilege to see that and then to watch a Manchester United game in his company and he's pointing things out that a lot of fans might not normally see it wasn't a great game against Leicester City by any stretch but the, the, my overriding feeling about the whole thing is just a flatness that the season's over I tweeted earlier that basically every single major club in Europe has still got a vested interest in this season, a, a, a trophy of some sort to play for, apart from Manchester United. And it just, it that hurts. I'll be honest, it hurts because I'm just not used to it and we've got no divine right to be winning anything, but it shows how far the, the standards have fallen. Yeah, I don't know what hurts more, that or the fact that they're down in seventh now after that draw at the weekend, which seems more of a reflection on the entire season and the way it's gone for Manchester United than the idea of being up near fourth like they were just a few weeks ago. Uh, Carl, just going back to Maguire, just to um, round off the chat on him really, um, Michael's piece goes into a lot of detail about this switch of sides. Um, I was texting you during the match saying, Maguire doesn't normally play right, does he? Has he played right with Varane before? We were sort of racking our brains um, at the game trying to work out if he had done it before with Varane. And I don't think he has. Um, he's certainly played the majority of his Manchester United career on the left-hand side of the defence. Did you think it brought about an improvement? Do you think it helped him being on that side? I think it worked in this specific context of the game. So Michael Cox, in the early part of the 1920 season, uh, essentially wrote a piece saying, look, don't, don't be put off by the fact that Maguire's right-footed and playing on the left-hand side. The Big advantage for it is that when Maguire does carry the ball up from defence, he puts his right shoulder in front of the ball and it's a really good way to protect the ball as he's dribbling. So this sort of works. Um, the reason why I think they swapped for, against Leicester is the plan very much seemed to be get the ball out left to Shaw, get the ball out left to, to Sancho. Um, and with varying issues in build-up in central midfield, it, it seemed to be Maguire was going to do those switches from the, from the right-hand side and the, the angle was easier for him. And I think in the first 10 minutes, you went, okay, I can see what you're trying to do here. And then after 25 minutes, I went, I'm not sure this is a smart thing to keep trying to do. That first half was very mediocre. I, I think I got to half time. I went, yep, that was 45 minutes of Premier League football and there's nothing more I can say with that. I, I didn't watch much of it on the Saturday, but I can imagine... When, you know, there was no reason to, was there, to be fair? You know, when they skipped to like the 35th minute immediately yeah. in a game of match of the day, yeah. I, think it was, I think it was one of those first halves where just nothing of real merit happened. It was the Bruno chance, wasn't it? Probably first up on the highlights. I didn't watch it either because there wasn't a great reason to do that. Um no centre forward, of course. Ronaldo missing with illness for the match, Andy. Uh, Cavani injured. Martial on loan. Obviously, Mason Greenwood would have been the other choice if, if he'd been available and the circumstances had been different with him. So, uh, essentially, four of the centre forwards at Manchester United started the season with missing for this game. And yet, still, Marcus Rashford wasn't the one who Ralph Rangnick turned to. The conversation about him and his form and his mood only continues... 
What did you make of the decision once again to go with Bruno Fernandes as a false nine, Paul Pogba in support, rather than giving Rashford a shout through the middle? Who would have thought it would come to this at the start of the season when the question would have been, how are we getting these eight forwards into the team? And then we have a situation where, as you, just as you uh, described it, I was surprised that Marcus was on the bench. Should he have been? Probably not. He's not been having a good season. I watched Martial in person on Sunday night in camp now. I don't think he did too badly, actually. It was quite difficult for Sevilla to play against an informed Barca team. I say that with a great deal of envy that they managed to come out of their slump and find winning football. I'd love Manchester United to turn things around that that quickly <laughs> and find their identity pretty quickly as well, which is what Barca have done in, in a matter of, of months. Um, Cavani continues to frustrate. It's just become a parody now with Cavani announcing that he's not fit to play and then he, he plays for his international team. And I don't think any footballer deliberately injures themselves, but it just leaves a bad taste with me. It just does. I can't help how I feel about it. He's getting a huge salary. And uh, when I went through Naples on Saturday, there were shirts of Napoli greats. I stopped at the stadium and Cavani was one of them. And I thought, he was a hero here. And I just checked when he was there and it was 10 years ago and I looked at his stats and he was playing every week. Once again, I was envious. And there's so much if only about Manchester United at the moment. And it hurts because you're just seeing the slide in, in very real uh, real terms on a week-to-week basis. I don't think it particularly worked well on Saturday against Leicester. Once again, Manchester United struggled to break a mid-table Premier League team down. This isn't the Leicester everyone was raving about, not the Leicester where United fans were saying, you know what, Brendan Rodgers, let's give him a chance as our next manager. That's completely faded from view, as is talk of Graham Potter at Brighton, for example, because they're not playing well. And yet United still cannot beat Leicester. United have won half the home games in the league this season. Got out of all the competitions at Old Trafford this season. It, it really, really is appalling. As a journalist, I see loads of little side angles as well. I got invited last week. Would you like to speak to Kevin De Bruyne? Would you like to speak to Trent Alexander-Arnold? I write for other people, not just The Athletic. And those requests or offers are coming from sponsors. And years ago, that would have been, would you like to speak to this Manchester United player or that Manchester United player? And there's a real sense that United may have the numbers on social media, but just completely fading from view. They're not the story anymore. I'm looking at the games I've got to go to in the next few weeks and my editors are saying, can you go to Madrid to do this one? Can you go to Barcelona? Can you go to um, Liverpool? Can you go to London? It's not Manchester United. And once again, it really hurts that it's come to this. And it's been a long time coming to this, but this is where we're at at the moment. Yeah, I was reflecting on this the other day when all the details were beginning to come through for the weekend. I'm going to be at the Manchester City-Liverpool game. It's the biggest game of the season. It could be a title decider come the end of the year and another year where Manchester United are not one of the teams involved. And I remember when it was United, I remember going to the Etihad, all right, United got beat um, back in 2012 when Vincent Kompany scored, but that was a title decider involving Manchester United. They've been involved in loads of them down the years. And won them as well, not just lost them. But even to be in the conversation should be where they're at. And uh, like you say, it feels like they're a long way away from that. And we're talking about the season drifting. We're talking about matches drifting. Um, it's a decade drift almost, in a sense, really, to be honest. Um, Carl, as well, the, the, the changing manager seems to have been something that has changed the fortunes of Barcelona, like Andy was talking about there. 
We knew that Ralph Rangnick was only a, a temporary choice initially, at first at least, uh, in a managerial sense. But the win percentage from 41.2% under Solskjaer this season has only gone up to 42.9% under Rangnick. In real terms, that's not much of a, a lift at all, really. It just seems like it's continued. I mean, it's had no impact at all, has it? Ooh, this one's difficult because there were games on the Solskjaer that, they got a good result, but they weren't playing great football. Uh, so the the 1-0 victory over Wolves right at the start of the season, away, where United were essentially getting absolutely hammered playing his 4-3-3. Fred's shaking the last couple of minutes. They get a goal, smash and grab, bang, 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 bang. Those sorts of games aren't happening for United anymore. They're not having games where they're playing badly and still manage to get results. Uh, I, I think I watched the, when I watched the Watford 0-0, we both looked at that and we both said sort of, We've watched United play a lot worse than that and win. I've also watched United play a lot better and, and lose. Yeah, and I yeah think that's fair. Ralph Rangnick got United to a place where they are competent again because it is. I know it was quite painful those final weeks and and months of Solskjaer's reign, but they they were bad and and they were absolutely zero. And Rangnick's got them to two, maybe three out of ten from that very low base. They're competent now. They're not a good team. They're not necessarily a good team to watch, but they are competent and sometimes they work towards some of their parts. Um, the problem is their parts aren't necessarily cohesive. The parts aren't necessarily always there. Um, and they're going to need upgrades of those parts, reinforcements of those parts and some form of rebuild in, in, in the near future. Again, you know, you're looking at a Manchester United team and you're seeing passes between Rafael Varane and Harry Maguire because the holding midfielder just isn't standing in the right position to receive the ball. Scott McTominay, for all of his pluses, he's not a num- he's not a natural number six. He has a bad weakness in just knowing where to stand so he can receive the ball and progress the ball forward. Um, Fred is 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 playing better in his his new role closer towards the goal, but at the moment Bruno Fernandes is having some real problems with his shooting boots. There's two two noticeable instances against Leicester City where he's just. You know, goals that would have gone in last season for Bruno aren't going in. Paul Pogba um, was terrible in those games where he had the shaven head uh, and now very much looks like he's just mined elsewhere. Um, and and that's it, right? And I think one of the big problems with this Manchester United team, and I think one of the big maybe mistakes or miscalculations a lot of us made was we thought or we hoped everything would progress in aggregate this season. We, we saw everything that happened last season and went, oh, well, if United were that good when they had no training time and they always had to play on the pitch, then if once they get some training time and if you put in some extra parts for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, things will get better and everyone's just going to continue going up, 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 up. Whereas what's happened is certain parts have come in uh, and they've not quite meshed in the way we initially expected, right? Jaden Sancho will play more games for United this season on the left-hand side than he will on the right-hand side. Right, uh, I think most people come into the season. Yeah, they had their doubts about Wan Bissaka, but thought Wan Bissaka will be playing on the right hand side. So therefore, there was going to be some sort of a certain amount of defensive security, albeit some weaknesses at the back stick. I think most people thought extra bit of training time. You know, one of the forwards, be it Martial, be it Rashford, whatnot, would would continue making that jump because they finally have that extra bit of time with Social or McKenna or, or Carrick to keep making that jump, and I just didn't happen and we will I'm sure 
when the summer comes around, the Athletic will write a big piece on why these things didn't happen. Uh, and I think that's the thing. It is drift. It's drift for a number of really frustrating reasons. And I, I just watched that Leicester game, and they're playing. You know, they played. You know, Rangnick played four two two two, which is what he did to RB. What he's done throughout his sort of when he's building clubs, uh, and that early chance where Fernandez has his shot saved by Casper Schmeichel is prime Ragnik ball, right? It's it's Fred winning the ball high up, set a midfield trap, give it to the forward, the forward comes and springs it, and it and it just gets saved, and you're going, even when they're doing the thing that Ragnik was brought in to do, it's not coming off for, air quotes, reasons. Uh, and that's the great frustration. that they, they are better than where they were in November, but it's just not good enough to do what you want to do. Yeah, I think we all agree with that. Um, we'll talk more about the rebuild that you mentioned um, at the start of that answer in just a moment. But before we go any further, we'd just like to pass on our best wishes to Louis van Gaal, who has announced that he's battling prostate cancer. Uh, of course, we were sharing our memories only a couple of podcasts ago of his time at Manchester United, left a lot of fond memories and certainly made his mark on football as well. Looking to go to the World Cup, of course, with Holland uh, later on this year too. So best wishes, Louis, and get well soon. Okay, let's talk about the rebuild then. Andy, on television once again at the weekend, certainly in the UK, the debate once again was about when Manchester United will appoint their next manager and whether the Leicester result will accelerate that. What do you think? I think it's same old, same old. I'm sick of hearing it. Talk of a, a rebuild. I don't think there's any quick fixes here whatsoever. I think a new manager will come in. There will be a brief flurry of optimism. Finding that the best moments with Manchester United are not actually incidents that happen on the pitch anymore. It's signings. It's Rafael Varane walking on the pitch before he's been signed. It's the announcement that Ronaldo's been signed. It's fans singing songs. It's not big goals in big games anymore. I think whoever comes in will have a very, very, very difficult job uh, to do. And I think it will take time. I think every manager deserves time. But I don't think there is a climate to give managers time either. And I think if it's Ten Hag, if it's Pochettino, they both have their virtues. They've both got their, their backers. They'll be back to a level by Manchester United, who's still a profit-making football club. But the fans are on a real downer. There's so little faith in the owners of the club. I think the structure of the club causes concerns to outsiders as well. I'm just sick of hearing this talk of rebuild, 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 going round and round and round with very little improvement. It, it's a snakes and ladders club. The manager comes in, there might be a bit of improvement. United climb up a bit. Then there's a drop in form. Because United are such a, a big media, a deal in the media, such a huge story, there's intense pressure then on the manager from the fans and from the media to sack the manager if results drop below a certain level, as they did in October in the final months of Solskjaer, the manager gets sacked and then it's back to plan B, back to plan C. While all the same time, Manchester United rivals are winning trophies, despite often having squads which have cost less to assemble than United's. I don't think it's about the money 
or the names anymore. I think United are lacking a coherent style. Ralph Rangnick's come in. He doesn't feel that he's got the players uh, to do that. I think you've got a mishmash of people who are recruiting players. There will be more changes at the club. There's been a lot more changes already. That that The consistency is completely lacking. We get some players who come in. I mean, I was delighted when Sancho was signed and he's had a decent uh, last couple of months. Don't think he'd have played well against Leicester. I was excited when Varane signed, even Ronaldo. And there'll be more signings this summer, but what's it going to lead to? I've just got so little conviction that Manchester United are on. I can't see any light at the end of the tunnel at the moment. Andy, can I ask? I know we've had loads of episodes where we've talked about the mitten standard of quality. So last season, it was top four in a trophy. And then I think in the new year, we said it was something like make the Champions League quarterfinal stage and qualify for the Champions League in top four. What do you think is the new mitten standard for the last eight games of the season? You know, bear in mind the games against Chelsea, Liverpool and Arsenal. And also, I know this one's a bit harder to, to, to tell because we don't know what European competition is coming up. But if you talk about expectation being this way or this way, this way, what do you think something is it is a reasonable expectation for fans to have in mind for all of next season? Well, firstly, this season, I think the mood is on the floor. This season has gone. What's the best case scenario from this season? Somehow Manchester United find form, which the team have been unable to find all this season and start to win three, four, five games. It's very rare that we're in this stage of the season with absolutely nothing to play for. It, it's We go back to... 2016 uh, under Van Hall after United gone out the Europa League. Before that, I think you go back to 1989 when when attendances absolutely collapsed at Old Trafford. The, the stadium wasn't you know, it was half full for some of the matches. So this season, if United won the last eight games, of course the mood will pick up. Football is so dependent upon the results. If we started seeing, I don't know, Delot looking like. He's absolutely brilliant. Or Sancho coming into form or the team scoring loads of goals. United fans are predisposed to support that. They might think, OK, we've got something here. It's gone too far this season. We've lost, we've lost this season. What, what are the chances of getting into the, the Champions League? One in five, something like that. But United are nowhere near the Champions League level anyway. What's the point of getting into it not to go far in the competition? The Europa League is where Manchester United's level is at the moment. That's been proven by results. That's not an opinion. The results will bear out that as a fact. New manager comes in, brings a few new players in. I think the one saving grace is how quickly the mood can turn in football. And there's loads of examples where you think it's all doom and gloom and suddenly you, that old cliche, and it's a horrible cliche, and it's not happening for United, the team can turn a corner. And a new manager might come in and he might have good ideas and the pre-season might go well. I can't believe how much United fans have been asked to play for the tickets for the friendly in the Bangkok against Liverpool, by the way. Have they seen how bad United have been? <laughs> but that, that's, a, that's an aside. But before that, we've still got away games at Liverpool and Arsenal. I'm fearful. Now, when I walk into them grounds at Anfield and at the Emirates... I won't be fearful because I'm a fully-fledged idiot who will believe that <laughs> Manchester United will will win those games. And I'll be like, the away end will just be like getting behind. All the tickets will be sold. The fans will not be giving up on, on the team. 
at those away matches. But no, I, I've not felt this down about Manchester United for a long, long, long time. The end of 17-18 was really, really bad. Those final few games of the season under Jose Mourinho. There's a game at West Ham. It's one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. And I went in a press conference after... And Josie said we did well. And David Moyes said we did well because he was managing West Ham. And I just thought, I'd like to take you both to court and prove. <laughs> that Because that was horrendous. It was a horrendous game. But at least it was the FA Cup final to look forward to in 2018. Now, tumbleweed. What do you think can happen? What's your best case scenario? Uh, I'm caught in two minds. There's part of me that wants United to basically make everything simple again. Stop trying to play Rangnick style football back to a 4-2-3-1, play Rashford up top, Pogba on the left, Bruno behind, just counter-attack and hunker down. And I'm basically going to swear here, but start shithousing some wins, you know, ruin Liverpool's possible title thing. One thing that does annoy me a lot is people say Manchester United aren't being really considered in the title race, but Liverpool have to play United. And yet no one's saying, oh, United could spoil the party. Not realistically. Something about winning the other game 5-0 um, maybe. But I think, yeah, I'd really enjoy it if, if United could get some really uh, annoying victories over Arsenal, Liverpool and Chelsea. I think, you know, of those eight games left, I think United probably should be winning at least three of them and then maybe positive results in two more. That's what one part of me wants to do. Another part of me wants to do, and forgive me for even voicing this, but is essentially bottom out. Start tanking, you know, get to a position where... United are seventh right now, and that get you in the Europa Conference League, I think, depending on what happens in the FA Cup. But I think if there is a terrible part of me that, that wants United to get into a position where they're not in the Europa League, they're not in the Europa Conference League, and then the new manager only has one game a week to worry about, and they can probably get their methods across, you know, go around, you know, spend this time playing Shola Shotaire or, or playing Hannibal. And yeah, maybe those performances in those games aren't the best or the most beneficial, but the aim in sight is a bit different. Jose Mourinho got away with that in his second season in charge of United because obviously the sixth place finish was covered up by the fact they won the Europa League as well. So this one will be a bit harder to swallow. I don't know. What's more likely to happen is United will probably win three games, get one more draw, finish somewhere in seventh place and there'll be some form of Europa competition to deal with. Yeah, and and the, the other factor with that, I guess it's the counter to that point, is that a new manager coming in, it's a good opportunity for them to use the squad in the Europa League and to actually be able to play all the, the players that are, are on the periphery of the first team for the league games. And uh, it sounds a bit folly saying this when United are out of everything by the end of March, but it's also an opportunity to get them off the mark, winning a trophy in their first season, being in the Europa League. I don't even want to bring myself to think about the idea of them being in the Europa Conference League. I remember how hard I was laughing at Tottenham at the start of the season and look how that worked out. The problem is as well that if, if you if you sort of put a stumbling block in Liverpool's way and Arsenal's way, you're only really benefiting Manchester City and Tottenham. So I, I don't it's not even that great really, is it, to be honest, no matter what happens. It's just just the way this season seems to be going and the way the season seems to be finishing as well. Um we're not going anywhere, though, on Talk of the Devils. Don't worry. There's going to be long weeks now between these matches, I'm sure, for United. But we're still going to be doing two of these a week, getting into exactly what's going on at the club, what the future looks like. And if you can bear with us and Andy's pessimism. Andy, I don't think I've heard you this flat ever, actually, to be honest. And I've known you a long time. 
I care deeply about Manchester United. I'm a Manchester United fan, as well as being a journalist. I want United to do well, and it hurts when the team are not doing well and the team have not done well this season. And I know you have ups and downs. I can remember going to games when United finished 13th and 11th, but maybe it all seemed new at the time because you've gone to away games as a kid for the first time and and that's gone. Uh, For some optimism, well, I've just um, Googled the venue for the 2023 Europa League final. It looks it's in Budapest, so that's, that'd be a nice city to go to. I think the, the, the youth team have done really well to get to the, the Youth Cup final, um, so that that's good as well. But I can't lie and bullshit that I've, I'm feeling optimistic at the moment because I feel like most other Manchester United fans do, pretty desperate and, and hoping for a brighter future, but not convinced where that, that's coming from. And deeply concerned about the club, about the ownership of the club as well. And there was a time where we used to laugh at Liverpool for being in the Europa League. Thursday nights on Channel 5, we used to sing. And now we're talking about that competition being a credible competition that United should be going for. Because it is. Because that's where United's level is at the moment. So I'm I'm, I'm naturally an optimistic person. I really am. I try and see good in everyone. And even in, in, in the, the football that I watch. But I just can't pretend otherwise at the moment. Yeah, and that's exactly what we'd expect of you, to be honest, Andy, to wear your heart on your sleeve. One other plus point, I guess, for Manchester United as well is that how well the women's team is doing in the WSL. Another win for them at the weekend. They're on course to make it into the Champions League, which would be a brilliant achievement. Uh, it was Leah Goldson with the goal, a 1-0 win over Brighton at the weekend. Ella Toon as well with the assist on her 100th appearance for the women's side. The first player in the modern era to do that as well, which is absolutely brilliant achievement for her. And hopefully in the last three matches, they can get the three wins that will guarantee them a place in Europe. At least United will be in the Champions League in some form, Andy. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the women's team and I often get people who know football very well, agents or whatever, people outside Manchester United. And I'm sick of the negatives I'm hearing from these people, like, what on earth's going on at your club? Why is this happening? Did you hear that happened? So it was quite nice last week when a leading women's agent said to me, uh, I said, what, what about Man United? He said, you've got the best manager in, in England. Um, you, you're really progressing well, given that your budget is nowhere near as big as, as Chelsea, PSG and Lyon. So he was very specific about who's got what. So, yeah, women's team, youth team. And I keep seeing, like, little goals from the young team, like Kai Rooney scored one. The under-15s played at Trafford last week, got a brilliant winner. So bubbling underneath, but this this is all a long, long way away. I suppose there's a hangover still from Solskjaer because I invested so much into the idea that this was going to work, that this would be a continual improvement, which Carl touched on, And up until a year ago, when United finished second, got to the Europa League final, I think you could say that there was an improvement. It wasn't perfect. It was far from perfect. I don't know whether we're going to see perfection again. And there's just been a slump. And I still think we've got the hangover. Um, The fact that we've got to start again. Some new manager's going to come in and with good reason say, we've got to rip it all up and start again. Andy, don't burst the little bubble of positivity we had going on there at the end of the podcast. I was trying to end it on a high somehow. You managed to pop it again. But great to have you with us, Andy, of course, as always, on the pod. Carl, good to have you back as well after your travels. Remember, you can get that 
offer of £1 a month uh, on a new subscription for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. There's an interesting article on there about agents fees from Phil Buckingham that's worth a look and has information relating to Manchester United and also Ralph Rangnick's quotes on the summer rebuild and his favourite topic uh, that's been written up by Amitai Winehouse on The Athletic at the minute. Go and have a look at that. But for the minute, thank you for listening. We'll be back later on in the week to preview the match against Everton. Uh, but thank you for your company. Andy and Carl, thank you for yours as well. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic.